Adultery. Man, that's a big word, right? Cheating. Two-timing. Affairs. Infidelity. These are all terms that describe a committed person who breaks the trust, that trust that's been created, in the arms of another person. Did you know that adultery is still technically illegal in up to 20 states? Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama. Now, these laws are on the books, but they're rarely ever prosecuted and really never prosecuted and only really referenced in divorce cases. But even though a person that commits adultery isn't in danger of going to jail, there is still a social taboo to breaking those promises that you have made to someone else through cheating. So let's put a pin in that subject while we jump into James chapter 4. We've read these verses uh, recently and talking about conflict and what causes conflict between us. But James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. That escalated quickly, right? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So where do fights and quarrels and and anger between us, where does that come from? They come from our wants and our lusts and our passions and our desires These wars go on inside of us. There is something that we don't get from somebody, and it causes conflict. And we have these desires in us uh, to have and to have and to have. I desire, then I demand, then I judge, and then I punish. Unmet desires cause conflict. Someone has the job that you want, and you feel like you deserve it. Or maybe you you see some type of material possession that you must have. Or someone has a friend that you wish was your best friend. Prisons are full of people that wanted something that they didn't have. And they wanted it enough to break the law over it, to fight over it, and in some cases, murder over it. But the end of verse 2 answers this struggle. This struggle of unmet desires in a single statement. And this statement would have saved all those inmates years of prison times. God says those desires and those wants inside of you that you wanted so bad to be fulfilled that you were willing to do anything for them, God says you have not because you ask not. What? That's all... That's what you tell us, God, we have these things that we want and we're willing to murder over them. And you just say, we don't have because we don't ask. Yeah, God says those burning desires in you, what he's telling us is he is the only one that can quench it. He is the only one that has the resources to fulfill those unmet desires in you. And does that mean you're going to get whatever you want? Obviously not. If we all got what we wanted, the world would be chaos. But he's the only one that can quench it. And see, those desires that we have to have what we want 
is actually the problem, right? To, 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 to have more and more and more. That's the problem. We want other things more than we want Him. Verse 3 goes on. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You might have heard someone say before, like, there's no wrong way to pray. Well, there is a wrong way to pray, right? He tells us right here. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Why? Because you're spending it on your own passions. Verse 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friends of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When the average Christian prays, they are the main character, right? I should not be the main subject of my prayer life. We forget that we are talking to the God that imagined and created everything in existence. But how often do we skip over that fact? When we start to pray, sometimes we skip over who we are talking to. And we skip over the who to get through the need, right, or the want. God, I want a new car. This one's busted. God, I, I want a new house. And, and we skip over the fact who we are talking to. And sometimes the reason we have those prayers that go unanswered is we're praying the wrong things. Praying for things that would fulfill our desires instead of allowing God to fulfill those desires. James has a strong word for those type of prayers. Adultery. Cheating. See, when we focus on what we get out of prayer more than the God that we're praying to, we are committing adultery with this material world. And in that same vein is when we try to serve God so that he will bless us and reward us. And we, we feel like, like it's an investment and we'll get a return, right? Sometimes we do that with tithing. We're like, I, I, I'll give to you, God, but you promised to give me back more. You're going to bless me economically. No, give to God because you love him and because he asks you. Will God bless you for obedience? Absolutely. Will it always be financial? Absolutely not. Sometimes it's going to be a spiritual blessing. Sometimes it's going to be comfort and peace and growth. We don't love God to get stuff because that's not love. That's selfishness. This type of theology is referred to as moralism. See, we attempt to appease God's wrath toward our sin with good deeds. And when we follow moralism, we give God our moral record and we demand that he blesses us because of our compliance with his law. God, I did this and I did that and I did this and I don't understand why I am struggling or have this problem or ha don't have this thing that I want. But see, the truth is, is we cannot be holy enough to impress God. Only Jesus was. There's no amount of good deeds that could save you. There's no amount of good deeds that could sanctify you. 
Why? Because Jesus paid it all. And only when we allow ourselves daily to live through Christ can we be holy. And here's, what I, here's the point, okay? Listen to this next part. This is what we're talking about. Because motives are very important to a God that sees your heart. Motives are very important to a God that sees your heart. And that list of checks that you check off that I came to church, I read my Bible. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it can actually be adultery. It could have the opposite effect that you wanted it to have. And if you knew the heart of your parents or your loved ones, then motives would be very important to you too. If you knew your parents only gave you things to get things out of you, that would hurt your relationship because that's not love. But how many of us as Christians are cheating on God with the world and we use our Christianity and religion to get things from God or to appear more spiritual. And look, these verses aren't talking about like utterly worldly people. These are people that are praying, right? These are people that are asking God for things and they're, they're uh, you know, seeking him, but they're doing it with the wrong motives, asking for the wrong things. And what I'm telling you today is not that you cannot pray for needs that you have and and to tell God your wants and desires. That's not the point. Of course you can do that. But first you have to realize who you are talking to. Jesus showed us this with the model prayer. How he started out, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All those things came first, the worship and the surrender, and then give us this day our daily bread. You've got to know who you're talking to. You don't just come with a list of demands and say, God, I want this, God, I want that, and I did this for you, so this is a transaction. But many of us, instead of realizing who we're talking to, we come to our God with our hand stuck out with this list of things that we want, and we say, money, please. Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What are going to be the desires of your heart? Things that come from that delight that you have in the Lord. This verse is very clear. To love God and pursue a relationship with Jesus and delight in him. And God will tell you the desires that he wants you to have. The desires that line up with that delight. So that you can stop asking for the wrong things. Delighting in the Lord is what shapes our desires in our hearts so that it will be good for you for God to answer those prayers that your heart has. The Bible tells us this in another way. It says, what you treasure is where your heart goes. 
If we love God, that will shape and lead our prayers to the right type of prayer that God promises to answer because it lines up with our love for him, our delight in him. Delighting in the Lord gives you different desires. And you may be asking why there's a certain prayer in your life that isn't answered. Sometimes that reason may be is because your desire for uh, the thing that you are wanting is actually a lesser thing. And God has something so much more for you to pull out of you. And he's not answering it because it's not for your own good. Don't seek creation. Seek the creator. That's where our desires are fulfilled. And that's where our passions are fulfilled. And that's where those things in us, those longings that we have, ultimately are fulfilled. You know, when we're growing up, we have these lists of things like Mar- getting married and getting a, you know, a great job, getting into the college that we wanted, finally owning a house, finally buying a car that's not 10 years old or whatever this list of thing may be. And as you become older and 30 and 40 and 50, you realize that once you check those boxes off, there's not that the fulfillment that you thought you were going to have. Actually, on the other side of fulfilling some of those goals in your life is an emptiness. Because it's this thing that you thought was going to provide you some contentment. And really, it's nothing on the other side. Are those things bad? No. But those things are less than what you were created to love. Verse 5. Do you suppose that there's no purpose When the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God is a jealous God. So stop cheating on God with religion or worldliness. Don't bow to the culture, bow to Jesus. The verse before just told us that when we take the world's side and we become like the world and we have the world's desires, we become an enemy of God. And a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And I don't know about you, but being an enemy of God is not a place that I want to be. doesn't sound like fun. Verse 5 just told us that the Holy Spirit that dwells in us at the moment of salvation, it becomes jealous when we commit spiritual adultery in our hearts against God. We see this type of jealousy very plainly uh, with God in the Old Testament with the people of Israel. But remember now, the church is his people after the earthly ministry of Jesus. Exodus 20 verse 5 talks all about how God is a jealous God. It says, you shall not bow down to them, these idols, and serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Zechariah 8.2 says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. 
You were made for a purpose and a reason to find delight in your God and to glorify him with your life. And when we rob God of those things, he gets jealous. Why? Because he deserves it. So the problem with our jealousy, right, if we uh, are jealous of someone else, is that we have no goodness in us, and we don't deserve any of those things that we think that we deserve. God is holy and righteous, and he's the one that created us. So when he is jealous, it is deserved. God's not okay with you looking for love in all the wrong places. God is a jealous God, and he does not accept being cheated on with the world. The church is his bride. Committing adultery against God is a scary place to be. But when we're selfish and want-filled and adulterous enemies of God, when we pursue anything but God's will for our lives and his will for our desires. And I think this looks a little bit different than what we think it looks like. I think this committing adultery is, uh, you know, between us and God is is a little bit more uh, a white lie type of sin than what we think it is. Well, let's, let's go through a scenario. What could this look like where we are following our wants and our desires rather than surrendering our lives to God and asking him to give us the wants and desires that he wants us to have? Well, picture this, right? A young lady attended church all her life, she helps out in the nursery. She helps out in the children's ministry, sings maybe. But she has dreams to become a doctor. That's what she wants to do. And she prays so hard just to get accepted to the college that she wants to be accepted to. But over the course of this life, this fine life, this, this okay life, there's no moral like great failure. But over the course of this, she never once prays, God, God, I want to have your will, God. I surrender my will to your will. God, what dreams do you have for my life? She never asks God to give her the desires that he wants her to have. And God may very well want her to be a doctor, but surrender is submission. See, when we talk about this and flesh it out a little bit, we wonder, God, how often am I in that adulterous position? Are we really seeking God first with our life? Are we begging God to give us the dreams that he wants us to have? Giving him our lives. Here, take it, God. You do with it what you will. But instead, most of us just want God to be an accessory to our life. We just want to add God in to our plans and our, uh, you know, direction and our schedule and our decision. We just want to stick him there on the side, really mostly just to get him to bless those things we already want to do. The Bible tells us that's adulterous. But people that surrender their lives and dreams to God, that's a rare thing. In our society right now, we're told to chase after our dreams and we can be whatever we want to be. And you're the one that makes the decision. 
and no one else can tell you. You're independent. And surrender in our, our lives to someone else is seen as defeat. And those people that surrender their lives and dreams to God, that's a rare thing. But there's good news in the next verse, okay? Verse 6. This is where most of us stand. We're adulterous, we're two-timing, we're cheating against God with the world. But verse 6 says, He gives more grace. After all this stuff, just like piling on us, right? All these times that we've failed Him, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God says, I know that you've cheated on me with the world, but come back to me. I've got more grace for you. Hey, I know you've taken the world's side and you've been my enemy at times, but I have more grace. Hey, I know that you sought the things that I could give you more than you sought me, but I have more grace. Come back to me. God, I'm sorry. You might say that I've prayed these things that uh, fulfill my dreams and never once asking you what you want and what, whether these things are part of your plan. But God is telling you, I have more grace for you. Don't run from me. Don't stay away. I have more grace. There's an old hymn that says it this way. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. No matter where you are, no matter how you failed him, he has more grace for you today. And not only does he have grace, in the next verse, he gives us a blueprint for how we would run back to him. You may feel far away from him today and feel like you need to stay at an arm's length from a God that is angry at you, but know that he has more grace for you. Whether you've failed him or not, whether you've committed adultery with the world or not up to this point, he has more grace for you today. And he gives us a blueprint. In these next verses, in verse 7, An outline of what we need to do. Look, you may feel like you've run out of chances with God, but that is a lie from Satan. He has more grace. What you need to do, verse 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. First, he tells us to submit ourselves to God. And these things that we've been chasing more than we wanted him, this tells us to submit ourselves. That means to be subject to, like a, a person that would bow to their king. Willing to do anything that king says. Humble yourself. Put away your pride. Stop trying to direct your life and let God direct it and humble yourself today. Submit yourself to God. Next, he says, resist the devil. Why does he have to say that? Because you cannot change sides in a war without the old ruler coming after you, right? You can't kneel before God without the devil trying to get you back on his side. 
And it's not going to be easy, so you're going to have to resist the devil. And next it says, draw near to God. Think about this. You have audience with the king of the universe. And he says to you today that I'll have as close of a relationship as you want to have with me. You have a promise from God today that if you seek to be closer to him, that he will reach out and accept you no matter where you've been or how long you've been gone. He has more grace. Next, he says to cleanse our hands. See, God doesn't allow us to keep things that are hurting us in our lives. He loves us enough to get that stuff out of our lives. And he says to cleanse your hands, purifying your hearts, admitting your failures. That's called repentance, repenting of your sin. And that mean, might mean going and apologizing to someone that you've hurt or, or asking for accountability for some habitual sin. But it's worth it to get right with God. Next, he tells us to stop being double-minded. Look, you got to choose a side. you got to stop switching sides. Stop going back to the world. And this is the blueprint for our relationship with Christ, to restore it. Because we've hurt him, and there's some work we got to do inside of our hearts. Submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse your hands. Stop being double-minded. He has more grace. And he gives us the the blueprint here to come back to him and to run back to him. And lastly, James gives us one final step in verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. This isn't something that we talk about very often, the need to feel our brokenness. Now, we don't stay there, but we've got to feel it. It says, be wretched and mourn and weep. You've got to understand that you have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. And all those things that you used to take joy in more than you take joy in God, you need to realize that you cheated on God and and feel broken about it. John Piper says, sin is what you do when you're not fully satisfied with God. And God is jealous about that. But humble yourself in front of God, and he will lift you up. Look, we've all two-timed God at one point. Some of you are there today. And it's been a long time since your relationship with God has been exclusive. So surrender yourself. Run from that wicked master you're serving. Run close to God and he will take you in, admit your failures, get them right, and choose a side once and for all. And be broken in front of your God today. Humble yourself. But don't stay there too long because remember, he gives more grace. We failed him over and over again. We do it daily. And the important thing is to not allow those things to linger and not allow those things to become a lifestyle, but instead run back to him with a humble spirit and say, God, I've messed up and I submit to you. God, I'm trying to draw near to you. God, cleanse me, uh, cleanse my hands. 
God, I choose your direction and I feel this brokenness and I need your forgiveness. I'm sorry for cheating on you with the world. And remember the promise that he has more grace. No matter where you're at, you may think that my sin is too big. His grace is bigger. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. He has more grace for you today. It's okay to to realize where you're at in your life and that you've sinned against God, a holy God. But just as holy as he is, he's also just as grace-filled. Run to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you help us to feel our sin today, God. To realize that we have failed you and that we have took our eyes off of you and let our eyes wander to other things in this world that we think are going to give us the love that we want. God, help us to remember that all the desires in us are ultimately fulfilled in you. Help us not to love these lesser things. God, help us to submit our lives to you, to hand it back to you. And when we take it back, God, help us to give it back to you again. We thank you so much, God, that you have more grace. God, I thank you that your grace is bigger and greater than all my sin. And I pray for anyone today that has never uh, accepted you as their Savior and accepted that forgiveness ultimately once and for all through repentance and salvation. God, I pray that they call out to you right now. Help them to feel the need of their sin, God. and See the need that they have for a Savior. God, help them to put their trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. The only perfect person to ever walk this earth, ultimately living a perfect life and laying down that innocent life in our place, an innocent person dying for all of us guilty people. God, we thank you that we cannot earn our salvation, God, but that Jesus earned it for us. I pray anyone that has not accepted you today, God, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, once and for all. Turn from their sins and all that they're holding on to. Put their faith and trust in you. God, and those of us that have made that choice and gotten saved and, and, and become a child of God, forgive us for taking all those things back. God, forgive us for experiencing your love and then still wanting other things. Help us to realize our sin, God, and our need for repentance. For the times that we've worshipped religion, for the times that we've worshipped materialism or our emotions and our feelings, God, forgive us. And we thank you that you have more grace for us today. In your name we pray.